Well, good morning. Thank you, Gareth, for that wonderful, you know, grace-filled introduction. I feel, I feel so, so loved and appreciated. It's really good to be here. My name is Nick, if you don't know me. Uh, I'm married to Amy. We have two kids, Joe and Kezi, seven and five. And um, you might know I'm involved a little bit down in the, with the team in Brooklyn. Uh, but this weekend's been a great weekend for me. I've, I've helped to lead a trilogy course, uh, helping to lead a trilogy course up here. So we had a great time yesterday morning looking at the history of missions. We've got a great group doing that. Um, and then last night I got to hang out with the youth, youth group. Any young people here? Gareth, hand down. Any young people? Yeah, we've got there's a great bunch of young people here. I felt so encouraged and, you know, they took the mick out of me. Do you have that phrase? Do you have that phrase here? Oh, gosh. They poked fun at me. Lots. Uh, it was great. The young people here, I want to encourage you. You guys are great. Loved hanging out with you. Thanks for having me. Um, we're going to get straight into it today. It's funny, Gareth makes a joke about my height because we're going to talk about Zacchaeus today. If you know the story of Zacchaeus, uh, see how we... It's clever, isn't it? So if you've got a Bible, why don't you grab it and turn to Luke 19. And uh, it should come up on the screen, and I'm just going to read it. You can follow along in your own Bible or on the screen. So here we go. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree, to see him since Jesus was going that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Notice how Jesus actually was passing through Jericho. Something happens and he, he suddenly now he must stay with Zacchaeus. That's important. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed Jesus gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He, Jesus, has gone to be the guest of a sinner. All the people, oh no, I've just read that, sorry. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, which he had, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we want to thank you that you came to seek and save the lost. And thank you that you left us, left us this wonderful book called the Bible that helps us to read stories of you seeking and saving the lost. I, I thank you, God, that you're such a faithful king to us. I thank you you're with us, you've been with us, you'll continue to be with us. I pray this morning that you transform hearts. I pray you speak to us. I pray you speak to me. Transform my heart. Help us as a church family to engage with what it is you're saying to us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to start by asking you a question. I want to ask, have you ever felt excluded? Have you ever felt left out of something? I, I think it's probably one of the worst feelings that we can experience as human beings because with it comes this sense of isolation and loneliness and shame. You know, questions of why are they leaving me out? Am I not good enough? What is, what is it that I've done that's, that's forced them to exclude me? 
And I do have memories of being excluded growing up. I remember playing soccer in the playground at school and we're picking teams and I never wanted to be the last one picked. Anyone else can relate to that? Or is it just me? You're all too good at sport probably. You're the, fir- you're the captains probably, first name on the list. But as I look back at my upbringing and my life, I think to myself, I've actually been pretty lucky. Because I don't feel like I've experienced a huge amount of exclusion. And I, I especially think, think that, that when I compare my journey to others, and I've got a friend who I grew up with, his name's Alex. And um, Alex uh, came to see me a few, a few months ago. And um, Alex and I grew up in a very white middle class town in England called Bishop Stortford. Even the name is white middle class, isn't it? And uh, Alex's dad was from India. So Alex was a, a, was a, a guy of color, and he was they were probably one of the first families to move into this, our neighborhood. And uh, so, you know, they stuck out like a sore thumb. And as I sat having a beer with Alex, we started to talk about his upbringing and all these kind of... And, and he shared with me story after story where he had been rejected, excluded, even assaulted, simply because of the color of his skin. And it broke my heart. And when I hear stories like that, I realize, wow, I'm so privileged. I've been so, so lucky. What about you? You guys ever experienced that kind of exclusion? Ever been rejected or placed on the outside of something? Maybe, maybe it's because of your lifestyle. Maybe your gender. Maybe your job. I used to be a police officer in the UK. So I used to meet people all the time at parties. And I'd ask what I did. And I said, I'm a police officer. And suddenly they wander across the other side of the room. And now I'm a pastor. It's the same. <laughs> people still want to... In fact, I think it's probably worse at times. <laughs> but what about you? Maybe, maybe you can think back to a time when you were excluded. Do you, do you remember how, it, how you felt? Do you remember what it was like? Do you remember how you responded? One of the uh, realities that I often try to remind myself is that often the church has actually been responsible for such exclusion. Often the church has been responsible. And you know what? This is what I believe the story of Zacchaeus is all about. I mean, there's many angles you could look at this story. There's lots you could pull out of this story. But today I want to look at it from, a, from, a, from an angle of exclusion. And we're introduced to Zacchaeus in verses 1 and 2. And it says this, Jesus entered Jer- Jericho and he was passing through. And a man there was there by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, the fact that Zacchaeus was a tax collector, chief tax collector, was a big deal. It was a big deal. You see, at the time that this was written, the Romans were the ruling power. They were the foreign, this foreign government had come in, steamrolled their way in, and taken over the city of Jericho. And they were like the, the, the ruling power now in, in this city. And what they did is they, they enforced their rules, their morals, their standards upon the city. And said, you are now a Roman city and you must behave in the way that we want you to behave. And one thing that that meant for them was taxation. We love taxation, don't we? Well, Jericho certainly didn't. But what they would do is the Roman government would would essentially raise up local people from the cities that they were taking over and ruling. And they would say to people like Zacchaeus, hey Zacchaeus, we want you to collect the tax for us. You know the lie of the ground, you know the people, you know the city, you go and collect the taxes. And you report to us. So Zacchaeus was essentially an employee of the hated foreign government. Okay? 
But to make it worse, Zacchaeus wasn't actually officially paid for his role. And so what he had to do, the expectation was that if he wanted to get a salary, if he wanted to earn money, he had to tax the people himself for his own salary. And so what would happen is that tax collectors would essentially make up tax rates to suit them. So you can imagine it, okay? Zacchaeus, one, you know, spring breaks and suddenly he takes off the, the cover of his New Hampshire pool and he's like, oh, my pool needs cleaning. It's okay. It's okay. Mr. Forsey, tax day. Uh, it's 12%. Mr. For- Mr. Forsey goes, it was 10% last week. Zacchaeus says, sorry, needs must. And then the next week, he's driving his F-150 truck and the clutch goes. And he's like, dang it. He says, okay, I've got a plan. And he knocks on the door and says, Mr. and Mrs. Moore, it's tax day. 15%. And they're like, what? It, was, it was 12% last week, needs must. And so this is what would happen. And so tax collectors would become very wealthy. Suddenly they could tax people based on what they wanted to do. And they had the, the whole force of the Roman government behind them. And Zach, Zachy was so good at this, he became very wealthy. And he was so good at it that he ended up not being the guy who would knock on the door and take the taxes. He became the, he became the, the chief, the manager, the leader. He was the one who oversaw all his minions. Essentially, Zacchaeus was a professional cheat, stealing from the poor in order to give to the rich, like the, the opposite of Robin Hood. You know Robin Hood? The opposite of Robin Hood. So the people hated tax collectors. They, they were not nice people. And in fact, the words in, in the vocabulary of the day, the word tax collector and sinner were often interchangeable. So if someone stands up and talks about tax collectors, really the connotation is, oh, he's talking about sinners. And if you're talking about tax collectors publicly, really the connotation is, you know, he's talking about tax collectors. You know, they were interchangeable. And so, weren't nice people. But verse 3 is a pivotal verse in this story. And verse 3 begins like this, and it says, Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. He may have been a social outcast, rejected by his own people, but something was going on in his heart. Maybe this guy had heard of the miracles that Jesus had been doing. Maybe he'd heard of the great teachings that Jesus had done, you know, Sermon of the Mount and all these things. And, and he hears he's coming to town. Something was stoned. Essentially, God was at work in him. God was, the Bible says that we're dead before we know Jesus. Dead men don't do anything. God was bringing this man to life. PJ Smart says of Zacchaeus, he was seriously seeking Jesus. And so he hears Jesus is coming to town, and he decides to go and see him. And verse 3 continues, he wanted to see Jesus, but because he was short, anyone short in the house? Yeah, a few of us. See, we just, we understand the text a lot more now, you know. It's God's grace to us. Because he was short, he could not see over the crowd, so he ran on ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Firstly, we see that Zacchaeus is hated because of his job, but secondly, we see he's not respected. And let me unpack that. Commentators like Kenneth Bailey, who are experts in in Middle Eastern culture, they say that when a wealthy man in this culture would have attended a public gathering, it would have been demanded by the culture that the crowd would have parted and let him through. 
that's, that's what the culture of the day was. That they respected Rotham and they let him see. But Bailey says Zacchaeus turns up. His heart is stirring. He's like, what's going on? God's doing something. I want to see Jesus. And he, he's trying to see, and he can't see over the crowd. And the crowd are like blocking him out. They're saying, you can't come in, Zacchaeus. What Bailey concludes is that the crowd were judging Zacchaeus not worthy to see Jesus. They're saying, you're a sinner. You don't deserve to see Jesus. And as a result, Zacchaeus did two things. Two things that were considered incredibly shameful for a wealthy Middle Eastern adult to do. He ran and he climbed a tree. In, in, in this culture, those was, they, they, they weren't seen as things befitting of a grown man, let alone someone with lots of money. They were, that, was, that was childish things to do. Middle Eastern men just didn't run. I like that culture. One commentator says, the fact that Zacchaeus ran ahead of the crowd was probably his way of trying to hide away in his shame and self-pity. Imagine how Zacchaeus felt. He feels like God's waking him up and he goes to see Jesus and people just don't let him in. Shove him out the door. Imagine how Zacchaeus felt in that moment. You know, one of the saddest things I hear over and over again is that people's experience of church is like Zacchaeus' experience in Jericho. I've got so many friends, met so many people who have felt like Zacchaeus, rejected by the church. Just like the crowd, throughout, church, throughout history, the church has developed this reputation, this perception of building barriers in order to keep people out. In fact, I've spoken with dozens of friends who've shared that this is their experience and wanted to just give you an example of that. Isaac, can I just borrow you for a minute? The story that I've heard over and over again is that when our modern day Zacchaeus, here he is, a short guy, wealthy, come on up here, join me. <laughs> He's got loads of money, you can tell by the clothes he wears, look, very wealthy, ripped jeans, can't afford a new pair. Yeah. And uh, a modern, this, is, this is the reputation that we've got as a church, okay? Whether it's a reality or not, this is the reputation we've gained. A modern day Zacchaeus rocks up and what we end up doing is to say, hey Zacchaeus, sorry, you don't sound like me, you're not welcome here. And one day Zacchaeus has walked up and said, whoa, Zacchaeus, your theology is not like mine, you're not welcome here. Zacchaeus has come to church and we said, oh sorry Zacchaeus, you don't have the right background, you're not, you're not welcome here. We've looked at Modern day Isaacs, Zacchaeus is, sorry. And we said, your sexuality is different from mine. You can't come in here. We said, oh, Zaki, you don't look like me. You're not welcome here. And we said things like this, you, your behavior is just not, not okay. You're not, you're not welcome here. And so... You know, whether, whether it's explicitly stated or subtly communicated, whether it's through deliberate acts, you still there? Yep. Whether it's through deliberate acts or unconscious prejudice, whether it's through, from a place of fear or from a place of extremism, this is how sections of the church have behaved. 
This is how we've lived. And this is now the reputation that we live with. I've spoken to so many friends of mine who said, I'd love you to come to church. And they're like, I don't fit in church. I'm not welcome there. Isaac, you can... Uh, should, well, hang on, should we put it to a vote? Who wants Isaac out? Anyone? No, go on. <laughs> Thank you, Isaac. It's my experience, that I, as I've spoken to people who don't know Jesus, that as I've, as I've invited people to church, it's my experience that we have declared to our culture, to our friends, to our family, you're only welcome here if you fit our mold. You're only welcome here if you look like me, if you sound like me, if you're cleaned up, if you're wearing the right clothes. You know, the crowd in Jericho treated Zacchaeus like an outcast, like he wasn't worthy of seeing Jesus. And they built a wall and kept him out. But thankfully, the story doesn't end there. Are you thankful for that? Me too. Whew. Verse 5 says this, When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately because I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Of course he did. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, He, Jesus, has gone to be the guest of a sinner. It's amazing, isn't it? The story starts with Zacchaeus desperate to see Jesus. And it ends with Jesus desperate to see Zacchaeus. It's amazing how the, the, the gospel does that. Whilst the city of Jericho were busy trying to keep Zacchaeus out and judging him unworthy, Jesus was busy trying to get him in. But at this stage of the story, I do have a question. How did Jesus know his name? How did, how did Jesus know Zacchaeus? The Bible says he's just passing through. It's not like he had you know, emailed ahead and arranged a meeting and got it in his Google calendar. No, he, he was passing through. He had no plans to stop there. So how did he know Zacchaeus' name? Well, there are two schools of thought. Firstly, the Bible doesn't actually explicitly tell us. So we have to look at the culture and do some exegesis and think, what, what's going on here? And there are two schools of thought from people with bigger brains than me. And one of them is, it was the word of knowledge. Jesus is walking and God speaks to him and says, there's a man up, stuck up in a tree. I mean, that's, that's, a, risk, that's a, faithy, a risky word to say, isn't it? I just feel there's someone here who's stuck up in a tree. That's one school of thought. He had a word of knowledge. And he sees Zacchaeus and he says, hey, Zacchaeus, come down. Kenneth Bailey, again, this expert in Middle Eastern culture, he says, what, what is likely to have happened knowing the culture, is that as Jesus is walking out of the town and Zacchaeus is up the tree and he's just trying to get a glimpse of Jesus, what's likely to have happened is the crowd would have given him, a, given him away. That as Jesus is walking, the crowd would have gone, <laughs> can you, hey, can you see Zacchaeus up that tree? Look at that sinner. He's so bad, he's got to climb trees. What a joker. Hey, Jesus, ignore him. He's just one of the town's bad people. He's a tax collector. He's a sinner. Don't worry about him, Jesus. That's what Kenneth Bailey says is more likely to have happened. And for me, if this is the story, if this is what happened, it makes it so much more powerful. Because if this happened, what it teaches me is that despite Jesus knowing that Zacchaeus was a sinner, despite Jesus knowing that he was an outcast, that people were rejecting him, he still reached up and invited him for lunch. Despite the, you know, he's witnessed the ridicule, the bullying, 
the exclusion, and still, Jesus goes, actually, I don't, I don't want to spend time with any of these religious folk. I want, I want Zaki. I want the outcast. I want the sinner. For me, it's what this story is all about. The crowd were angry at Zacchaeus and they could not see past his lifestyle, his sin. They couldn't see past the things that kept him at a distance from Jesus. But Jesus couldn't see past his heart. And I don't know about you, I want to be a man who sees a person's heart rather than seeing their lifestyle. Rather than seeing their sin. That's the kind of friend I want to be. That's the kind of believer I want to be. That's the kind of church I want us to be. And I love this story because it teaches us about the gospel. You see, Jesus, as he reaches his hand up to Zaki in the tree and says, Yo, let's go for dinner. I don't know if you notice it. In verse 7, it says, All the people saw this and began to mutter. And so what happens in that moment is Zacchaeus is feeling ashamed. He's feeling lonely. All the things that exclusion does. He's feeling embarrassed. He's feeling bullied. And in that moment, Jesus says, Do you know what? I want to take that from Zacchaeus. And he reaches out and he says, yeah, come for dinner with me. And suddenly all this abuse from the crowd goes from Zacchaeus and it goes to Jesus. And that's the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus doesn't just tear down the wall, he takes it away. And he puts it on his shoulders and he takes our sin and our shame. And he went to the cross for it. And he died on the cross and said, all the bad things you've ever done, the punishment you might deserve, I'm going to take that for you so that you can walk free. The crowd went from calling Zacchaeus a sinner to calling Jesus a sinner. And you know, in this story, all of us are Zacchaeus. We're all Zacchaeus. Stuck up in a tree, running away, hiding in our shame. And Jesus sees us and he says, hey, Tim, James, Laura, I want to know you. The world might not want to, but I do. Can I come for dinner? And Jesus reaches up a hand to us and we all have a choice to make, don't we? Do we take his hand or not? You see, where the world mocks us or shames us, Jesus comes and stands up for us. Where the world rejects us, Jesus accepts us. Where the world builds barriers, Jesus tears them down. And like Isaac and I, you might not all be short physically. All of us are short spiritually. All of us are short spiritually. The Bible says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. And in our own capacities, none of us can see Jesus. What saved Zacchaeus wasn't his effort or his hard work. What saved Zacchaeus wasn't his bank balance. What saved Zacchaeus was the grace and mercy of God. I loved what Isaac shared. What, what saved Zacchaeus was God's grace. And here's my point this morning. The one thing, forget everything else I've said, the one thing I want you to remember is this. We must be a people who imitate Jesus, not Jericho. We must be a people who imitate Jesus, not Jericho. We must do all we can to be a people of grace who tear down walls rather than build them up. You know, it's grace that caused Jesus to reach out his hand. It's grace that caused him to stop and invite himself for lunch at Zacchaeus' house. You know, grace is God's desire to bless us, not on the basis of our performance, but on the basis of his love for us. Grace is the mysterious ability of God to ex accept us irrespective of our lifestyle. Grace reveals that we are loved, valued, and accepted by God just as we are. You know, Zacchaeus was a sinner. He was a thief, a turncoat. 
He was an outcast for a good reason. But Jesus didn't treat him as his sin deserved. And where the church has built up this reputation, where this perception has come from people around us, that this is how we treat people, I would love for us as a church to break down these barriers. To be a place that tears down the wall rather than builds it up. I'd love us to be a place where people feel loved and accepted and welcome, irrespective of their lifestyle, their choices or their behavior. Let's be a people of grace who tear down the wall and imitate Jesus, not Jericho. Now, I know some of you might be getting itchy at this point, a bit uncomfortable. And grace should be uncomfortable. The grace of God is very uncomfortable. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying, though. Does the Bible give us a pattern of living, a model to follow of righteousness and purity and holiness, where we reject sin? You know, Hebrews 12 says, have you resisted sin to the point of shedding blood? Like, the Bible says sin is very serious, and I'm not trying to lay a platform where it's okay to sin in any way. The Bible gives us a model for life that is for God's glory and our benefit. But it's never the starting point. Jesus didn't come to Zacchaeus and say, Yo, Zacchae, let's head off to Chipotle. Oh, but f- first, Zacchaeus, could you just tell everyone that you're sorry? In, or- in order for me to eat... Could you just tell it, you know, make, maybe make it public. Everyone's here. Make a public declaration and say sorry to everyone. and Because then, then, then we can go. For like, he didn't do that, did he? It's not where he started. Tim Keller puts it like this. God sees us as we are, loves us as we are, accepts us as we are. But by his grace, he doesn't leave us as we are. In the story of Zacchaeus, Jesus' first action was to reach out a hand. And in doing so, he demonstrated his love, acceptance, and grace for him. The amazing thing is that as we do this, as we, as we reach out to people, that's when transformation comes. That's when life choices happen. Romans 2 says that God's kindness leads to repentance. Repentance just means turning away, living a new life. And it says it's God's kindness that leads us to that. Not his rebuke, not his re, uh, rejection. You know, when you look at the original language of, of the phrase, fear the Lord, it's not about fearing his anger or fearing his rebuke. The original language means uh, to have a sustaining joy. It means to have awe and wonder. That's what to fear God means. Not that I'm going to fear he's going to tell me off or rebuke me or be angry with me. And I, I think as Jesus reached out his hand, do you think he would have felt the fear of the Lord? This joy, why Jesus wants me? He wants to eat with me? This sense of awe? Yeah, I think he would have done. Verse 8 carries on like this. It fit, the story finishes. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. He was clearly very, very wealthy. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to your home. Zacchaeus' life was completely transformed. Completely transformed, but we must understand the order in which it happened. You see, transformation came after Jesus had already expressed his love and acceptance of him. Commentators agree that when looking at Zacchaeus' response, Zacchaeus wasn't trying to earn Jesus' approval. He was responding that way because of Jesus' approval. And that's the model for us 
as a community, as believers. John Lavferman, he says that God's acceptance of us always precedes our performance. Always comes first. So, we're going we're gonna to come into land. I want to give you two application points this morning. And the first thing is this. This is really a message of mission. This is really a message to say, go and love people. And so I want to encourage us this morning. Just We're going to pray in a minute, but I, I just wonder, who is it that God's calling you to love this week? To reach out a hand to, to go for dinner with, to pick up a care package for, to send them a nice text, to pray for them, to invite them to Easter. Who is it that God has put in your life? You know, the amazing thing about Christianity is it's not about one or two people. It's not about the, you know, the man or the woman who's employed by the church. It's not for Gareth and Tracy to do all the work. The gospel is that he, he invites all of us to partake. He calls us co-laborers, all of us, co-workers. We all have a role to play, all have a part to play. In loving those we work with, those we live next door to, our friends, our family, so who is it you can invite this week? Who is it you can love this week? Who can you extend grace and acceptance to? Who is it can, whose perception you can change this week of what the church is really like? We're going to pray in a minute. I'm going to ask God to come and speak to each one of us. But the second thing I want to say is, is, my second piece of application is, do you need acceptance today? Do you need to know God's acceptance? Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and... You just don't feel, you, you struggle with this message. You think, God doesn't, does he really love me? I feel like God wants to bring his acceptance to you today. Maybe you've, you've been a Christian for a long time, but your faith has faded. Maybe you're here for the first time in a long time. I don't know. And you think, God can't really love me. I've, been so, I've made so many mistakes. I feel like God wants to bring his acceptance to you today. Or maybe you've never made that step of faith and you've never actually you wouldn't call yourself a Christian today you can you can enter into that relationship you know becoming a Christian isn't a difficult thing it's just like the ABC A is you you just admit you've stuffed up you admit that you've turned away from God and you've lived a life that's pleased you not him the B is you believe in Jesus you say yeah he came he walked this earth I believe in his life, death, and resurrection. And then C, it's like you commit to him. Just like a, when you get married, you know, when I got married, I made a commitment to Amy. I'm, I'm yours forever. And that's, you know, becoming a Christian is just it's entering into a relationship with Jesus. 